0: to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with giving to God, as we pick up in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse
1: 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. As you've discovered by now, the book of Deuteronomy is sort of a review of the law. The word itself indicates the second law. It is a review by Moses for the people, really a final review because Moses will be dying in just a few days and... Joshua will be taking over and leading the children of Israel into the promised land. So he is continuing his instructions, his final instructions to them. And in the 17th chapter, again at the beginning, he lets them know that what they give to God should never be cast-offs. Never give a sacrifice that has blemishes. God really isn't honored when we give to him the cast-offs, that which has no value to us. The Lord is really honored when we give to him a sacrifice that really cost something. When David wanted to buy the threshing floor of Ornan, in order that he might offer to God a sacrifice there because it was at that point that the angel was stayed and the plague that was upon Israel was stopped. Ornan says, I'll give it to you. And here you can have the cattle to offer as a sacrifice. And David said, no, I'll not give unto God that which cost me nothing. Now David was called a man after God's own heart. And I think that God is honored when we do give to him, we give that which cost us something. Otherwise, it really isn't a gift. Jesus, watching the people putting their money into the treasury, when he saw the widow woman throwing her mite, he said, she's given now. That's, that's true giving. The rest of them were all giving out of their abundance. She was giving out of her sustenance, out of her livelihood. And so when we give unto God, not the cast off, and so you're not to sacrifice unto the Lord any bullock or sheep with blemishes or evil favoredness. That's an abomination unto the Lord. Then they were very strict within the law. God was seeking to preserve the nation. He knew that by allowing certain things within the land that they would have within them incumbent seeds of destruction. As you look at history, you'll find that the majority of the nations that were once great were not really conquered by outside forces but deteriorated by the rotten politics within the nation itself. Nations, after a period of time, have a tendency to become corrupted. Nations are built upon certain pillars of righteousness, justice, equity, solid pillars upon which a nation is built. But when these pillars begin to rot, then the nation is in a dangerous condition and will soon fall. One of the rotten planks that God was seeking to guard against was that of idolatrous worship. And therefore, the penalty that God ordered for anyone who would enter into idolatrous worship, the worship of other gods, the worshiping of God in unprescribed ways, the penalty was to be that of stoning. He's wrought wickedness within Israel. And he has served other gods, worshipped them, the sun, the moon, the hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded, God said. Now, you are to inquire diligently to see if the story is true. And if two or three people will witness against that person of the truth of the charges, then he is to be stoned by the congregation of Israel. However, the death penalty was not to be invoked if there were only one Witness against the person. Now, if the matters were brought to the judges and it was really too hard for them to determine just how to rule in the case, then they were to bring those matters before the priest. And the Levites shall inquire of the Lord and give the sentence of judgment. And again, God speaks of the place that he will choose in the land, which will be the place where men will meet God and worship God. Now, in the 14th verse, it is interesting, as God now anticipates a future deterioration of the land. You see, God intended that the nation Israel be a theocracy that it be a nation that was governed by God. They were to have the most unusual form of government of any nation of the world. Where other nations may have had monarchies or dictatorships or democracies or other forms of government, theirs was to be unique because they were to be a theocracy a nation that was ruled over by God. But God knew that one day these people would insist upon a king. And therefore, even though at this point there was not to be any king ruling over them by God's divine ideal yet knowing that the day would come when they would no longer adhere to God's ideal plan for them as a nation, and would insist upon a king, God therefore in the law gave certain rules when a king would rise to rule over them, then he gave rules for the kings here in the laws. Though it was to be, 400 years or so before they would have a king, yet God already anticipating the demand for a king is now giving the rules when a king does rise to rule over them. And so to me it is interesting that God in anticipation of their future demand for a king throws in here, even in the law, certain rules to govern the king when they ultimately Have a king And the the very reason that they would give for having a king Is anticipated by God When you want to have a king like the other nations When the people came to Samuel They said set up a king over us like the other nations And, And they demanded that they have a king And so God anticipating this demand of the people When it comes to pass, you're in the land which the Lord gives you. You're dwelling there. And you shall say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among your brothers shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over you which is not your brother. Now, Here are the rules for the king. First of all, he's not to multiply horses to himself or to go down to Egypt in order to trade for horses. The second was that he was not to multiply wives unto himself. And the reason for this was given, lest his wives turn his heart away from God. Now it is interesting, when Solomon became king, he failed. On all three counts First of all, Solomon began to multiply horses unto himself And the stables of Solomon are are still to be found throughout Israel Not only did he multiply horses, but he went down to Egypt In order to do horse trading The second, disobedience And finally, he multiplied wives unto himself Now, it is interesting that God said, you're not to multiply wives lest they turn your heart away from me. And Solomon's wives turned his heart away from the Lord and brought the failure to Solomon. So God anticipated the evil. He anticipated the results of the evil. He warned about it. And yet Solomon disregarded the warnings of God, did exactly what God said he should not do, and exactly what God said would happen did happen. In other words, God knows what he's talking about. We so often feel that we know better. Well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, I can do it and get by with it. Oh, that'll never change me. Wives could never change my attitude towards God. And and that may apply to some others, but that really doesn't apply to me. And we think that somehow we have some private exclusion from the rules or the laws that God establishes. Not so. God has set the rules. He has set the punishment or the things that would transpire if the rules are violated. You think you can get by with it? You can't. You can be sure that even as God has stated, so shall it be, and you can be sure that God doesn't warn you about anything needlessly. Whatever God warned you about is the thing that you're in danger of violating or doing. So God was warning concerning the king. Solomon disregarded the warning. And even as God declared, so did it take place in Solomon's life. Now the king actually was to make his own copy of the law and he was to read it daily. Now how marvelous that would be if you had a president who would have to write his own copy of the word of God because in writing it you're reading into it all the time and then have to read it daily. When Moses turned the charge over to Joshua, he gave to him the law and he says, now thou shalt diligently consider the law. Thou shalt meditate in it and thus shalt thou make thy way prosperous and thus shalt thou have good success. David spoke of his own delight in the law of the Lord which he meditated in day and night. He was a man after God's own heart. Because of the respect that he gave to God's word as a king. David was the kind of king that God wanted. God wanted a shepherd king. God always wants shepherds to rule. He wants all of the rulers to have the hearts of a shepherd. And David had the heart of the shepherd for God's people. Nurturing them, caring for them, loving them, concerned with their needs. And so the requirement that the king write his own copy of the scriptures and read it. Now again he repeats how that the tribe of Levi is not to be given any portion of the land, but they will eat the offerings that were given unto the Lord made by fire as their inheritance, for the Lord is their inheritance. And thus, the priest, when he offered a sacrifice, they were to give the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the maw. Also, they were to give to the priest the first fruit of their corn and of their wine and of their oil, and the first of the fleece of thy sheep shalt thou give to him. Now, God required really a tenth. He considered that as his, And the tenth was always to be the first tenth, was to go unto God. Now when you would bring an offering that the priest would sacrifice the offering for you, the priest always got the shoulder and the cheeks and the maw. That was his his sort of fee, or not really a fee, but that was just his, his allotted share from the sacrifice. Now, Later on in their history, when Eli was the priest, he had some greedy sons. And the people would come to offer sacrifices, and hey, these greedy sons, they would put their hooks in and grab the tenderloins, the sirloins, and the the finest of the steaks and everything else. And, And if the people would go to object, you know, then they'd order them out of the place so that they actually, by their greed caused people to begin to resent sacrificing unto God. And Eli would not actually correct his sons, and thus God dealt very harshly with Eli and his sons because of their greediness in the ministry, caused people really to resent God, seeking the best for themselves, looking out for themselves and more concerned with their own wants and and selves than they were really the people. And thus God dealt very severely with Eli and his sons. But there was a portion that was to be given to the priest. And uh, then the first fruits uh, of their uh, fields, the first fruits of their grapes and so forth were to be given unto the priest. For the Lord thy God hath chosen men out of the tribes to minister in the name of the Lord, and thus they shall have like portions to eat. Now, again, God forbids that the people follow after the abominations and the practices of those people that were already living in the land that they were to drive out. The practices were using divination or an observer of times. The observer of times is is actually the practice of astrology, the use of horoscopes. Or an enchanter or a witch, or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits, so spiritism, or a wizard or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And it's because of these abominations that God is driving the people out of the land. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. The word perfect there is thou shalt be completely towards the Lord. You're not to have other gods in your life, so to speak. Your heart is to be completely towards God not to be divided with with these other interests and issues, but just a heart that is completely towards God. For the nations which you are going to possess, they hearkened unto these observers of times, to the diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God has not allowed thee to do it. Now here we find a great prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of your brothers like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken according to all that you desire of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him." Peter in his message in the third chapter of the book of Acts declares that this was a prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. Now the Jews knew the prophecy of Moses and thus they were looking for their Messiah. They believe that this is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. That God is going to raise up another spokesman to speak God's word to them. I'll raise up another prophet like unto myself. So that when they came to John the Baptist saying, Who art thou? They said, Art thou that prophet? And they were referring to this particular prophecy. Are you that prophet? The prophet that we are to look for, like unto Moses, through whom God will speak his word to the people. John said, I am not. Are you the Messiah? No. Who are you? I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. Now, the Jews today are still looking for their Messiah and they're anticipating that he is coming very soon. But they told me We believe that the Messiah will be just like Moses. That's this prophecy they're referring to. That he will not be the Son of God. They say, now you say the Messiah, or that Jesus was the Son of God. We do not believe that the Messiah will be the Son of God. We believe that the Messiah will be a man just like Moses was a man a man from amongst us that God will raise up to speak God's word to us. And so the Jews today are looking for a man, a Jew, who will be able to come and to help them to rebuild their temple and to bring them peace.
0: return with more of our verse by verse Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible and we do hope you'll make plans to join us but right now if you'd like to order a copy of today's message simply order Deuteronomy 17 through 18 when visiting the wordfortoday.org and while you're there be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck
1: Now may the Lord be with you and keep you in His love and grace. May you be enriched in Christ Jesus in all things. And may your understanding of God's love be increased day by day as you begin to fathom the depths, experience the heights of God's love and grace and mercies towards you.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
2: God is looking for someone that He can use to accomplish His purposes on this earth. The apostles were more than willing to be used by the Lord. So what was it that gave them the certain spiritual characteristics necessary to be used by God and to be a powerful, godly influence to change the world? Well, in a book entitled The Man God Uses, Pastor Chuck Smith brings the scriptures to life as he examines the book of Acts. He reveals the secret to the apostles' boldness, the five essential components of prayer, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever wanted to accomplish more for the kingdom of God and to be an instrument that he can use, then I encourage you to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Man God Uses. To order a copy of this book in print or download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.